This is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and we're running down some of the top stories of the week. Don't forget to check out the Daily Dive Monday through Friday for more news without the noise. One of the big stories of the week was that of Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, the notorious drug kingpin. He was found guilty at his U.S. trial after six days of deliberation by the jury. My producer Miranda joins us for a lot of the details and some of the big highlights into how El Chapo ran his business. During this high-profile trial, which remember, Oscar, started mid-November, so it's been going on for quite some time. The jury, we now have the breakup, the demographics of it, is made up of eight women, four men, and they heard testimonies from 56 witnesses. 14 of them were admitted criminals testifying against Guzman in cooperation with the U.S. government. So about a dozen of them or so struck deals with prosecutors, which the defense team used to question their credibility. Many of these cooperators were actually former cartel members, and at some point, some of Guzman's closest friends and confidants. Yeah, the defense, that was part of their main uh, plan was to just discredit these people. These are all people in the organization. They're liars, they're cheats, they're thieves themselves, so you can't trust them. But there was tons of evidence, and everybody knows all these things that El Chapo was going And as we talked about previously in the podcast, a big thing that helped bring him down was his IT guy who set up this phone network for him so that he can talk confidentially to all his people. He flipped on him and gave the FBI everything. So they had text messages, they had phone records, they had a lot of information on on El Chapo. His jealousy, but also his obsession with, you know, sex and women and control is ultimately what brought him down because he wanted to be able to spy on his wife and his mistresses and his other like, you know, top henchmen guys. We spoke about this the last time we talked about El Chapo. He had no forms of entertainment because he was hiding out in the remote mountains in Mexico, just kind of biding his time until he was able to get back to work. And he didn't have Netflix. So what he did is he had his IT guy set up the phone so that if he had a phone call with his wife, he could hang up and then listen in on what she was saying after they hung up. After the verdict was read, the team for Guzman said that he remained upbeat and strong. And despite the conviction, he's cool as a cucumber. They said that this job of being the top guy in the Sinaloa cartel made him massively wealthy, netting him nearly $14 billion. And we know he had an affinity for flashy guns, things like that. Uh, He had like a diamond encrusted pistol. He had a gold plated AK-47. One of the funny things uh, was when he was leaving court, he looked towards his wife. She gave him a big smile and a thumbs up with a head nod like, hey, it's all okay." (laughs) Obviously, we know the story of El Chapo. He was caught twice by Mexican authorities and escaped both times. Uh, The first time, I mean, he owned that prison and all the people within it. And he climbed into a laundry cart and they wheeled him right out. The second time he had people dig a tunnel underneath his jail cell And he escaped through there. They had like a track set up with like a little motorcycles on it. And he rode nearly a mile away to the whole opening. And then he was gone for some time until they captured him again. And that was part of the problem. Mexican officials were deemed they could not handle him. They could not keep him incarcerated. So that's why they extradited him to the U.S. And now he's guilty. And now it's on the U.S. to keep him locked up. Let's go over some of the more exciting things that we found out throughout the trial. There was a lot of fun stuff. Yeah. Obviously, we talked about the IT guy who brought him down. He bragged about a hundred million dollar bribe for the ex-president of Mexico. That one was very interesting. You want to talk about corruption, Oscar. This is corruption at the highest level. One of the most damning allegations to come out of the trial is the claim that El Chapo paid former Mexican president Enrique Peña Nieto one hundred million dollars to stop looking for him while he was out hiding. And what's funny is that Peña Nieto wanted 
250 million, but settled for 100 million. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, the New York Times was reporting on this. And this is, uh, you know, stuff from the inside guys from the cartel that were uh, leaking this stuff. Yeah. We talked about these tunnel escapes. His wife played a key role in some of these escapes because she was helping pass back and forth notes on how to implement the escape. She was one of the few people allowed to visit him and he even paid for conjugal visits. He bribed guards to allow them to have some private time. So what they did is pass these blueprints and notes planning. This tunnel took eight months to put together. It wasn't just like a hole in the ground. It had tracks. It had air conditioning. Right. It was a whole thing. He wanted to direct a movie about his life. <laughs> and they kind, of, they kind of started getting some type of script or something together. They were starting to finance a couple things and he just loved it. I mean, He's like a folk hero in Mexico. They write songs about him. So he wanted to do this. And in the courtroom, there was an actor that portrays him in Netflix Narcos show. And he got like all giddy that uh -huh. the guy showed up. Yeah. This does not surprise me by any stretch that there would be a El Chapo movie. I mean, you want to see it. I right. want to see it. We all want to see They're gonna it. They're going to make one. But the fact that he wanted to have a hand in not only telling his story his way, but he wanted to be the director of it is just so massively hilarious to me. He was working with a writer to kind of get a jumpstart on a book that would be the movie. Yeah. And everything he was telling this writer was actually like halved. So he'd say, you know, I have a fleet of planes, but when he would tell the writer, I have 20 planes at my disposal. So he was just really amping up right. everything to well, make it a good movie. It's that ego boost. Yeah. Throughout the trial, we also learned all the secrets and the ways uh, drug trafficking empire really works. You know, planes, trains, automobiles, you name it, submarines, they said. They did all sorts of stuff to get the drugs across the border and transport them wherever they needed to go. And when all is said and done, a lot of experts are saying this really will not do anything to stem the flow of drugs. They They're called it the air in the balloon theory. Basically, if you've got air in a balloon, you squeeze one side, cutting off the Sinaloa cartel, all the air just shifts into another section. So the next step is El Chapo is expected to be sentenced in June. They think the conviction will bring a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. We'll wait till that happens. But for now, the story of El Chapo seems to be coming to a close. Thanks, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. One of the fun stories we did this past week was that of DNA dog testing. And as genetic testing for humans has become relatively inexpensive and it's all over the place now, we're getting a chance to learn a little bit more about our best friends. You can now do these tests for your dogs. It works much like the ones for humans. You swab the mouth, send it in, get your results. There's a number of different companies offering these services each with a different focus, different results, and varying costs. We spoke to Sarah Fallon at Wired. She tested her dog with three different companies. So she joined us to talk about the results and which one might be best for you and your pup. I had this rescue dog, and she's a German Shepherd. She has some leash reactivity issues. And a woman I met who used to train German Shepherds for the Israeli Army said, you should get her genetic tested. It will tell you about what she was bred to do. And that will help you figure out how to motivate her and maybe how to fix some of these issues. So I knew I wanted to do a genetic test on her, and I did one real fast, and it came back, and it said, your dog is German Shepherd. And it didn't tell me anything about what kind of line she was from. Was she supposed to be a show dog? Was she supposed to be a, a working, like, sniffer dog? You know, a, a personal protection dog? So that sort of left me with this feeling of, oh, I really, I want to know more about this. So I decided that I would try to set up a thing where we were a little more rigorous and kind of methodical about 
testing a couple dogs and testing a few different kinds of panels and tests that you can do. So I talked to Anna Alexander, who's the Wired Director of Photography, and I knew her dog would be a really great companion to this story because her dog is just this total awesome, cute mix of all kinds of things. So it seemed like it would be interesting to put the two dogs side by side and see what kinds of information you want to know if you have a total mix and what kinds of information you want to know if you have a purebred dog. So for example, breeders um, are using tests like these to genetically test dogs that they want to breed together to see if they can breed dogs together that are less related to each other because a lot of purebred dogs have a lot of inbreeding and stuff. Yeah, and that leads to all the health problems as the dogs look great, but then they have all sorts of other issues that are related specifically to that inbreeding. So it's important to kind of know where they're coming from, where the family lineage comes from, because if you're going to combine them, you can have a bunch of problems later on. Nah, that's exactly right. And even if you just look at their pedigrees and you look at like who their grandparents were, that doesn't tell you nearly as much as, oh, these two dogs have almost the same 16th and 17th chromosomes, so we don't want to breed these dogs together. But maybe one of the siblings does not have the same chromosomal overlap or genetic overlap. So they're really cool for that, too. So you have these sort of two different types of of use cases. So I wanted to compare those across a couple of different types of tests. You guys tried three tests. We'll try to run through them a little quickly. Uh, it was Wisdom Panel, DNA My Dog, and Embark DNA Test Kits. Let's start with Wisdom Panel. How much does it cost? And take us through the process and, and kind of the results that you would get. The Wisdom Panel, there's two versions. The Wisdom Panel 4.0 is $85. The Wisdom Panel Health is $150. So for all of these tests, you to collect the DNA, you do some kind of little mouth swab. They have different techniques for doing it, but it's basically a Q-tip of some kind that you stick between their gum and their cheek and you rub it around and you send it back to the company. So there's all variants on that. The wisdom test looks at about 20,000 genetic markers. Some of them are for diseases and some of them are for the breed identification stuff. And the disease stuff can be very specific. You know, you, you can look, you know what a gene looks like. You can scan for it when you run the test and you can see, oh yes, this dog carries a gene for exercise-induced collapse, or there's a gene that if it's mutated, it causes poor drug processing, so dogs react badly to certain medications. What Wisdom does, which I think is neat, is it gives you the information on those two genetic defects with its basic panel, because those are genetic defects that you can do something about. You know, okay, I can't give them this drug, or I shouldn't exercise my dog too much. If you want a lot more genetic information, then you could do the health panel. And I would say that that one's probably Probably you would want to do that if you had a purebred dog, but not if you had a mixed dog because your chances of all these genetic defects are just so much lower if you have a mixed dog. One of the uh, interesting notions that have popped up with genetic testing, especially in humans, is the privacy issues and the things that they actually do with your DNA results. Mm-hmm. This company uh, specifically is doing something interesting with the results from the dogs is that they're using it to create breed-specific dog food under their parent brand or something like that. But it's kind of an interesting notion because different dogs have different ways to eat. You know, a little short uh, smash-faced dog can't eat as uh, effectively as some other dogs. So they make food cater to that and they use all this information for this. That's their sort of marketing strategy with some of these dog foods. And I definitely get it. You know, little dogs have different needs than, than big dogs. It seems a little... 
Let's put it this way. I can't weigh in on how, how much a dog needs a breed-specific food. Or if that's, <laughs> right. I, I just I don't, don't know. But yes, they are using it um, as part of their business model, and they are doing some straight-up research, right? They're collecting all of these different genetic profiles, and maybe they discover, oh, Cocker Spaniels often carry the gene for this particular trait or disease, and maybe there's something that they can do with that information scientifically. So it's part research and part commercial. How about one of the next ones, uh, DNA My Dog? You guys said that this one was cheap. It allows you to learn your dog's genetic age, which is pretty good, but the levels of information are pretty basic. This one's very basic. So this, and they're not doing research on the back end. So if you have a mixed breed dog and you just, you want to, you know, get a little bit of a backstory for it, I, you know, this is a, a good test, but it doesn't have a fancy interactive website like the other two. The other two can tell you like, oh, your dog probably has floppy ears. Your dog probably has long legs, which you already knew. Right. Just by looking. <laughs> yeah. But it's still fun to see it because it's sort of like your dog horoscope or something. These guys don't do that. Now, what they do do is they sell their tests very cheaply to shelters and the shelters can run the tests on the dogs and if you apparently if you post this dog has been genetic tested and it's these couple breeds on its little cage or its little adoption card it can really speed up how fast that dog gets adopted yeah. or that's what I mean that that rings true to me in my ear if you are adopting a dog and you know nothing about it other than oh it's cute yeah, you might be willing to go for it, but a lot of people want to know ahead of time, what am I getting myself into? And if you know a couple of the breeds, you know, then you know that oh, there could be these problems, there could be that those problems. And the age, you know, testing the age uh, for people that rescue dogs a lot, a lot of times, they'll yeah. rescue older dogs and they'll want to know how old he is because as they get older, things happen. Yeah, exactly. And the, the telomere length, as I understand, sort of reflects basically the wear and tear on your body. So the dog might be seven, but his telomere age might be five. So, you know, he's got like some good life left in him. So right. yeah, I, I think that's a sort of neat thing that the other tests don't offer. This one would be good for uh, dogs that are, you know, straight up mutts, things that you have no idea what they are. Let's get a little bit of basic info for them. That's right. And if you had a dog that you pr really pretty much knew what they were, you would be kind of disappointed if you got this one. <laughs> and, and the last one that you guys tested was Embark Dog DNA Test Kits. This is the most expensive one, but it gives you the most amount of information. So it does the same panel of genetic tests that Wisdom does, all these different genes where if they're mutated, they can cause various issues in different breeds of dogs. They look at more markers than the other tests. They look at 200,000 markers. The accuracy of the results is not just markers. It's that plus the algorithms plus the size of the, of the database and how many dogs are in there. But they give you a lot of quizzes to take, which is just fun. Like one of the things Anna did was take a quiz about how often her dog farts. And then you can see a table of the results of what other people say or, you know, oh, how much man. your dog. I mean, it's just... I, I saw that and I read it in the article and I laughed out loud because I, I had a French bulldog and he was a notorious farter. <laughs> and it's just funny. Just to, he would do it all the time. It was, sometimes it was quiet. Sometimes it was loud. So just to kind of uh, gauge it on uh, on uh, kind of the spectrum of a lot of other dogs it would have been kind of fun to do. And Embark also will uh, kind of connect you with maybe cousins or other relatives of these dogs. And people have even organized play dates through this stuff. It's pretty funny. So that's what they told me. And it's pretty neat. I mean, it's and it's kind of the same way that you can connect with other relatives you might have on, on 23andMe. So they have a little interface and it shows you other dogs that share a portion of your dog's DNA and sort of how genetically related your dog is to them. And, you know, my dog turned out to be related to a lot of 
dogs, including one of these new skeet monastery dogs, which are sort of these very bred to be service dogs. And that was just really, you feel like you're sort of discovering secrets about your dog. That it seems very revelatory, <laughs> yeah. even though you have no idea if that relationship means that that dog is like the parent of my dog or the sibling, or if they're just closely related because a lot of German shepherds are just closely related to each other. But he told, he told me a great story of littermates that had gotten separated by Hurricane Harvey, and they were on the site, and their owners connected on the site, and they got them together. And I just can't even imagine the cuteness of that <laughs> <Right>. situation. <laughs> Yeah, Incredible. I mean, it's just interesting stuff. I, I, I my, myself, I'm looking to adopt a dog pretty soon, and this thing is right up my alley because you want to know more about the new pet that you're going to get that you didn't get as a puppy, so you don't know them from stages of infancy, you know. So it's an interesting way to learn more about your new potential pets or ones that you've already had. Sarah Fallon, Deputy Web Editor at Wired, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda, for a little more on these dog DNA testing kits. Shortly after we did that interview with Sarah about the dog testing kits, this past week was the Westminster Dog Show. One of the testing kits that Sarah actually used, Embark, became the Westminster's first DNA testing partner. They got a big push out of this. And the Associated Press also did a story on these testing kits and started talking about how it's generating a lot of debate surrounding these. Yeah, they're saying that these tests are fueling research and helping animal shelters get dogs adopted out. That's how I picked my dog is I wanted a Chihuahua. My husband wanted a Boston Terrier. We found a shelter that had mix of those breeds of puppies. That's how we picked our slash. And they're saying that these new DNA tests can help these purebred dogs percentage and help breeders eliminate other diseases. But the debate is coming from concerned that some of these tests can show genetic mutations linked to disease or other bad aspects of the breed. And in the case of one pug, the pet owners to ultimately euthanize the dog before it was medically necessary because they were worried about problems down the road. Right. And Sarah mentioned that a lot of the testing kits do show certain genetic markers that could lead to mutations and illnesses further down the road. So the debate now is interpretation of those results. So, you know, you could go overboard, as you said, with that pug. Hey, it looks like they're going to have problems in the future. Let's put him out of his misery now. I feel like with these testing kits, it really goes two ways. For the average home user who just wants to know a little bit more about their pet, they're not necessarily going to care too much about those things. Maybe in conjunction with your veterinarian, say maybe, hey, some of these medications won't work for you. But the average person, uh, say for you, Miranda, we want this kind of dog or we got a dog and we just want to know more about him. That's kind of the fun in and of itself. And then the other part are the breeders who are really going to use the test results because they're looking down the road to make money to breed other dogs. You know, it's a different conversation with regards to these testing kits. The tech is also being used to identify other things, not just dog breeds, but in San Francisco, they use this to identify dogs whose owners don't pick up their leavings <laughs> on the sidewalk. Um, they've been used to pursue accused biters like it once was used to free a Belgian Malinois from a doggy death row after this dog was accused of killing a Pomeranian in Michigan. Be wary of all the tests and, and don't do anything hasty unless you consult your veterinarian and then you can go from there. But I think for the most part, these can be pretty fun just to learn a little bit more. I want to do it. Thanks, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
Follow us on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.